All right, Jay, what was your clinical win of the week? Yeah, so I had, um, I, I take on students for other PTs who are either like gone on continuing ed or they're helping teach in the USC program. So um, I had this one student and he was, um, had him for two days. And just as a generalized clinical win, I felt, I felt like I was able to teach him quite a few things, especially like practically, like he, I guess he hasn't been seeing a lot of shoulders. Mm. Um, so I had like four adhesive capsulitis shoulders on my wow. schedule that day. So I got to teach him uh, a bunch of different techniques as far as like pain. If like they're not tolerating supine, let's get them in sideline. You can even throw tens on them while you're doing those things, a bunch of other things. And so just, I felt like a lot of education in clinic was really cool. And at least right now in my career, I think that's what I prefer is mm. more like clinical education since I've had both. Um, like didactic in the program too as a yeah. uh, as a lab assistant so yeah that was my clinical win just hanging out with the student teaching some things passing on my early six months of experience yeah <laughs> a lot of a lot of frozen shoulders up there. is that one of the more common things you guys see is it more lower body or upper body that marengo i mean oh man it's we we have these marengo specials like i just had this eval who was like post-concussive which is on topic today. Yeah. Uh, she had post-concussive syndrome, which was like previously she has fibromyalgia. She has like hypertension. She has quite a few other things, like a lot mm-hmm. of biopsychosocial issues going on. She came with left shoulder pain. And so like you, but it wasn't adhesive capsulitis. Um, and, and so like, we get a lot of that. We mm-hmm. get post post COVID. Um, yeah. Like status post COVID. How is patients. your post COVID patient doing the long haul? You know, the one that I'm seeing right now, he's doing good. Um, he's still not walking as far as he'd like, but he feels more confident with his breath. And he's like able to really be aware of when he starts to feel his anxiety coming up because he feels like he can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's walking a little bit further. Um, he's happy. He doesn't seem like he's okay. having too much limitations for his life. Um, just, just the walking right now for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we get everything and anything like. Yeah, we get it all, but we do get a lot of like very complicated, moderate to high complexity mm-hmm. patients coming in. So um, I know when I leave, most things will probably feel like cake. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. Oh, you got this thing. Okay, that's so awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. And so you hear we'll back see. from the army soon. The probably this week, right? Next soon, week? yeah, soon. Yeah. So I'll let you know, man. I'll probably be. I'll be all you can be, right? <laughs> is that the is that the one? Oh god, that's the slogan. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I've kept up to date with all the slogans. Yeah. Yeah. The Marines is, the Marines is like the few, the proud, the Marines, I think is theirs, but I didn't know the, yeah. the armies. Yeah. What's in the Navy? They're like just Navy strong. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah. We gotta we gotta bring them all up and then have the viewers <laughs> rate them. Which one's the coolest? Yeah. <laughs> Um, for me clinical win of the week so like i said a couple weeks ago i got to go to chris powers and the Mm, movement performance yeah movement performance institutes lower quarter functional biomechanics screen and that was a great two-day course glute max cures cancer is definitely what i learned from that so everything (laughs) is glute max for that guy hip strategy hip strategy hip strategy and um bringing that again translating a little bit of that to the clinic this last couple of weeks has been cool to see more activation and, and people feeling like they're getting their their glutes firing and just 
focusing on again one other thing that I took from that talk was um with balance because um a lot of mm. like chronic ankle instability you'll get patients on a foam pad or something standing up you know single leg balance on a foam pad and mm-hmm. and his kind of argument was he doesn't do a whole lot he does some of that for for chronic ankle instability but he does a lot of hip focused balance as well so with him he's like if they're moving too much at the ankle and then we're putting them on a foam pad we're kind of teaching them to again use those muscles in the foot which isn't necessarily a terrible thing but he he doesn't want them overusing those intrinsic foot muscles too much or you know mm-hmm. all the time and not using everything up at the hip as well because he's big into getting balance from the foot and from the hip so he's like uh, i think if we just put them on foam pads and only and only train balance that way we're kind of over relying on just getting their foot to be stronger or just maybe even making the problem worse because we're making them do more movements at the at the ankle so he has patients get on a the blue side of the bosu ball and just mm-hmm. you're basically kneeling on a bosu ball and you're trying to bring your other leg into the air like a almost like a captain morgan kind of thing and then you're just like going through hip mobility kind of stuff while kneeling on a bosu ball and your hip is trying to stabilize you so that was an interesting way that I've never thought to do balance training before is being kneeling on a blue side of a BOSU ball to get the hip turning on as well, not just at the foot. So, okay. So you have your right, let's say you have your right knee on the blue side of a BOSU ball, mm-hmm. your left, you're in like a, a split squat almost. Position. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you have, yeah, I would have like my, if my right knee's down, my left would be up at 90 degrees, like mm-hmm. 90 hip, 90, uh, 90 knee angle. Mm-hmm. And then you're just trying to either hold that isometrically or you can kind of go around from like an external back to to neutral to make it harder. So dude. Yeah. Chris, interesting. Chris Powers, uh booty boot camp. Booty boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> Training the hip for balance, not just the ankle. So that's kind of one thing I took away. So yeah, been making great. making some people do that and challenging them in new ways. So that's, that's awesome. been a win at Elevate so far. But that's about it, man ready for this solo episode another two five research one. Oh yeah let's do it let's do it welcome to two five physios the podcast where tyler smith and jordan spradlin two doctors of physical therapy discuss their journey towards financial independence self-development pt research articles and host in-depth interviews with physios in the field and welcome back you're listening to the two five physios podcast me and jay got another solo episode for y'all bringing it back with a two five research episode this one's coming straight out of the jospt journal it looks like november 2019 issue mm-hmm. i think jordan's going to take a little bit more of the lead on this but i'll just hit you with the title right now it is a treatment-based profiling model for physical therapy management of patients following a concussive event. So why did you want to do this paper in general, Jordan? Oh, because I just read it. Just read it. You had to do it for your residency. You just brought it up. <laughs> Top of mind kind of thing. Top of mind. Didn't know if you had a... Have you ever had concussions in football before? Is this like a personal? Dude, it, it is. When I was playing Pop Warner, I was like 11 or something. Yeah. I, I remember for a week, I was like, man, my head really hurts. And 
<laughs> right. but I had no idea why. You know, I was like, man, and and I'm probably, you know, it's probably why I, I got two F's in, in that, <laughs> that year. <laughs> wow, it all makes sense. Um, so I definitely had one concussion when okay. I was younger. Um, I believe that was it. Okay. Know? But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just we we were discussing um, both uh, like vestibular ocular rehabilitation and mm-hmm. concussions the past couple weeks here, and in school I didn't feel like I was very uh, you know we were exposed to it right, but um, just didn't dive deep as much as we do in residency. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really cool. I have I have yet to to treat someone though post concuss. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any experience with that no i mean personally not even i grew up playing ice hockey but fortunately been clear of uh, concussions in my whole career but teammates obviously have gone through the ringer with that too so i've seen a little bit of you know what the atcs are doing and kind of stuff immediately after a concussive event but and i had one while in pt school we were at a game in arizona and i feel bad because it was a pass that i made to this guy and then he got lit up and uh (laughs) He, he definitely had like a stage four conky, you know, like it was, it was bad. He memory issues and he was just acting, you know, definitely irrational and not his usual self. So he would probably have been in the, let's see, the system rating of the severe, like symptom management category. We're going to talk about a little uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jordan's <laughs> going to get into that about how severe, how they stratify these kind of patients and all that. But so I have had some teammates with some severe kind of TBIs and concussions, but personally, no. no. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to, cause it's, it's really interesting. Like it really challenges. It seems like a really good challenge for physical therapists too, to really incorporate mm-hmm. a lot of like their clinical reasoning and just focusing on multiple, multiple body systems to treat at the same time. So in order to get these people better, cause a concussion is essentially an injury to the brain that results in like a temporary loss of normal brain function. And what's, what's great is most of them resolve within like seven to 10 days. I know in the paper, they talk about adults, probably 14 days and children could be up to four weeks, Mm -hmm. but the majority of them do resolve themselves with rest and like active, active rest um, in a couple of weeks. But there is a small percentage, about 25% of individuals who have prolonged symptoms, which can be classified as post-concussive syndrome. According to the ICD-10 definition, it's just a history of traumatic brain injury with three or more of the following symptoms, which could be headache, dizziness, fatigue, irritability, insomnia, all these different things. And, and like other, other symptoms, if, if you go to, there's this other website called rethinkconcussions.upmc.com, and they list a few different concussive symptoms such as cognitive, just like difficulty thinking, difficulty concentrating, um, anything along those lines, memory, memory issues, sleep, being affected, um, emotionally like labile and irritable and increased anxiety. And then also with physical, you can have, you can have post-traumatic migraines, uh, diplopia, double vision, uh, vestibular balance issues, fatigue and cervical neck pain and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. those are all things that come along with, with the, with a concussion and something I was introduced to a little bit more was a classification system of post-concussive disorders for these people who are still like just de- dealing with, with these symptoms, even after, even after the lot of time where most people get better, Ellis in 2016 
she, uh, they brought out or introduced this classification system, which is where they categorize it into three, where there's like physiological post-concussive, mm. and then there's vestibular ocular and cervicogenic. And so physiologic is more like a global, um, at least some of the symptoms, they're more global, pounding headache, light sound sensitivity, uh, physical and cognitive activity can um, be, can exasperate the symptoms more so. And then uh, vestibular ocular, their symptoms might more likely be brought on with extended periods of like reading or focusing, or, you know, when you have to con- convergence is one of the tests that most um, neurologists even do for people to assess. Um, that's a, one of the small tests to assess for concussions. And, and then cervicogenic uh, post-concussive disorder is usually like a dull occipital headache that can be elicited by activities that require like a prolonged neck stabilization where you're holding your neck pretty still for a prolonged period of time or just movements, you know, in general, cervicogenic, like end range movements might bring on a headache or something along those lines. So those are like some of the three general categories for post-concussive disorders. And, and normally for people who do end up like that, the kind of risk factors for that is prior history of migraines, uh, prior history of depression, anxiety, or mental health illness, and a prior history of concussion. And I think the prior history of depression, anxiety, and mental health illness is interesting because in the current paper, uh, they talk about these contextual factors that might affect um, a person's recovery, which are um, which could be one being like resilience. If you have that resilience type mindset, that grit, that can help you get better faster. Um, but also, if you have negative thoughts or fixation on negative ideas or or um, catastrophization of your symptoms, could also decrease your ability to get better faster. So. Those are, those are all things to consider. And as far as concussions in general, even though, I don't know, we haven't seen anything, I'm hoping by the end of the year, mm-hmm. we should get something. You know, I have people upstairs who I could be like, hey, can I see this person or this type of people? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's what I need to do. Um, have you seen anyone from a fall, potentially? Because I know you work with some older populations. Mm-hmm. Have they had anything like that? Not even. No, the older patients that I have, a lot of times they have like vertigo issues and other, uh, yeah, like vestibular ocular dysfunctions, but nothing related to specifically like a fall TBI kind of thing yet, you know, so hopefully it stays that way. But you know, <laughs> my, the the one lady I see at home visits, 90 year old, uh, hip fracture, she didn't hit her head or anything. She just went straight on the, on her back basically. So, oh. uh, didn't fortunately hit her head on anything else and she was able to call for help and and get up but yeah no nothing fortunately yet with any patients so all right that's good because i mean about a third there in, in the paper they did a yeah they threw out a a survey to pts and about a third of pts reported their patients had sustained a concussion from a fall or a motor vehicle accident so not mm-hmm. not so not something sports related or recreational related right. um which is about 4 million per year in the U S as of right now. Mm-hmm. And, and in the military, the reports are about 85% of military traumatic brain injuries are concussions overall. So very common in those sports and military tactical athlete type population. And as far as when we as physical therapists are seeing them usually two days to three weeks out from their mechanism of injury. And and as far as treatments, I know this, this paper is more so a 
kind of paradigm, like a contextual, similar to the physical stress theory. Like we can use this kind of framework, theoretical framework to treat patients and mm-hmm. categorize them in certain areas. So uh, we know that physical therapy interventions are safe and they can be very effective for these patients. And, but at, at right now, the ideal timing to initiate therapy hasn't quite been established. I know uh, there's this article by Schneider uh, where he looks at rest or treatment uh, for this. And it was a systematic review and had, there's not a consensus as mm-hmm. of yet. It's kind of like, oh, you know, depending on this, this person might need to rest for a little bit longer before they start doing, returning to the normal activities and, or like, and they looked at studies, like these people started two days after these people started three weeks after there wasn't like a huge difference between mm-hmm. their outcomes. Um, so I think it's as of right now, we just need more evidence in there. I just want to start. I don't, what would you do? Like if you had someone, when would you want to see them after a concussion? Yeah. Depending on how severe I think. Um, I mean, I, I don't see the benefit of waiting really if, if I can get in there earlier and see how it's changing over time. Mm-hmm. You know, like they said, two days to three weeks. So I think the earlier you get onto that, the better, cause you could see um, maybe how they're progressing over the course of, a week or two weeks, um, depending on how long you're with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would try, yeah, I would try to get there as early as possible if I could have been on the field. And then you have a little bit more understanding of the specific mechanism. Was it, you know, what high velocity impact was their head down into a player? Or was their head into the floor? Like, I don't know, maybe some of that would indicate a little bit more um, prognosis and kind of management going forward, depending on the type of play it was or the weights or I don't know, so the contextual factors. So earlier, the better and knowing more about the specifics around the case, I think would be beneficial for PTs for sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I would probably do the same thing too. try to get them in sooner, sooner, the better. Mm-hmm. And then even just providing education, like mm-hmm. something that was really cool in this paper is they similar to like low back pain classifications, like a lot of people who are pretty low irritable, they just have like a little instance. You just send them home with the HGP and an education and mm-hmm. they're going to be just fine. Right. Um, and similar to some of these people, they're very, very low irritable, not mm-hmm. really having much symptoms. Um, they're probably good to go with just some education and understanding their understanding what their body is going through and how it will get better. So um, essentially this article, uh, they wanted to propose a comprehensive model for assessing concussion and treatment and also acknowledging some of the limitations associated with that. And so essentially focusing on the concussive, like this can be a limitation because it's not just the brain injury. Like we talked about, like there's Mm -hmm. other systems like sensiomotor that can be affected cervicogenic and vestibulocular. So when those things are affected because balance people do, people do uh, struggle with balance after this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, how do, how do we assess these things? And one is a subjective and physical examination. So you want to rule out those big bad uglies. You know, you want your ALR ligament testing, mm-hmm. which I've come to learn is it needs to be done in three different degrees. So it needs to be done in neutral and then side to side it needs to be about five degrees flexion, five degrees extension. And you need to be positive in all three. There needs huh. to be a delay in order for that to be a true positive for ALR. Again, and you're then, feeling, is the spinous process you're trying to feel? And then if it's not moving or not moving, is that the positive? Yes, yes. Okay. And if there is a delay. So say yeah. I am 
side bending to the left mm-hmm. and there is a delay of the sinus process into my right finger mm-hmm. if it's going to the right um if it's a delay in both neutral flexion and extension then that would be a positive mm-hmm. ALR. and so then you have to look into sharp purser as well and a positive there's a laxity and um, there's there's a couple of the cool ways that uh, my residency has taught me to assess for that so you want to rule those out and and uh, rule out your big bad uglies. And as far as other physical examinations, you look at joint mobility for the OA, cervical flexion rotation test for the AA joint, uh, joint position error, uh, appropriate cervical joint position error, cranial cervical flexion test for deep neck flexors, and just general cervical endurance for all cervical um, flexors working together. Those are all things. So, and like as far as sensitivity specificity for the cervical flexion rotation test, it runs around 70 to low 90s, uh, both. And that was established by against at all in 2017 and all in 208. And as far as like just some quick norms for cervical endurance um, that I always have to look up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do a cervical endurance test, those males, they're shooting 39 seconds, females 29 seconds. That's and what I was going to guess. 39. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> for some reason, that did stick. I always remember 39, 29. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. That's great. I'm glad you got that one down. Um, so that's, this is one of your, you know, your physical examinations that you can do, and this will really help, help you maybe categorize someone in probably a cervicogenic category as far as their post-concussive syndrome. And, and also with the physiologic, which is, seems to be more global. There's a Buffalo concussion treadmill test that you can do as an assessment. That's been very well validated. And the protocols is very easy to follow. Anyone can do it. It's pretty much a, about a seven minute test. And uh, the speed is about 3.6 miles per hour. And then you up the incline every minute after two minutes, 1%. And then if they're, if they're still good after that, they have additional protocols, but you're asking them, you know, their questions, of RPE, their overall condition, you're assessing their blood pressure, heart rate, and their symptoms as well. And that gives you a great um, baseline uh, to identify like their symptoms once they present, like where their heart rate is. Mm. And if you wanted to prescribe them some aerobic exercise, you'd be like, all right, you're 80% of your threshold symptom heart rate for two weeks. We're going to try that there. And then okay. we'll, then we'll increase your heart target heart rate by like five to 10 beats per minute. Next two weeks, reassess and keep going from there, especially for patients who want to get back to to sport related activities. Um, they need to perform at those high levels, uh, high intensity without those symptoms. So, uh, there's that, uh, also sensory motor, there's the balance tensing. And then, uh, for vestibular ocular, there's the vestibular ocular motor screening for concussion, uh, validated by Mucha in 2014. And it's, it's quick. You can do that one quick, uh, but it's great. And, and, uh, and there's like a couple forms online that you can find for there. Follow it quick and dirty. Should be good there. And just some other limitations is like, like you talked about as far as, you know, when would I start with my patient? Uh, people recover at different rates. So this isn't going to be right for everyone. And um, especially with children and adults, depending if they're very active prior or not, uh, you need to kind of, you know, be flexible with your program. And the contextual factors that we talked about, whether they're protective, like having that resilient, grit, gritty mindset, or if it's a provocative role, if that catastrophization uh, type mindset. 
Uh, it's another limitation that PTs should really, really incorporate in their in their program. So, with all that out of the way, shoot, did you want to talk about the proposed treatment, like the symptom management, movement system? Yeah. So in this article, it looks like they have two different stratifications. First is uh, the profile of the patient. So severe, moderate, and mild, and those corresponding to a symptom management, movement system optimization, and performance optimization are kind of the, the three things of how do you proceed. And that's based on three different evaluation criteria. So based on symptom status, disability status, and response to movement. So you're looking at those kind of three things first to then put them into either symptom management, movement system optimization, or performance optimization. Once you do that, theoretically, you have a better understanding of kind of where to go from there and how far to push and when to, you know, try to elicit symptoms and what they have with HEPs and, and when they can kind of return to sport. So I like the, the kind of best thing I found was on figure two um, was the kind of like algorithm of concussive event. Are they appropriate for PT? Mm-hmm. And then it's either medical management, physical therapy management, or self-care. Like you said, some patients just need, you know, the reassurance and then they'll get kind of be- better by themselves. And then you're assigning them to either the symptom management movement or performance based on symptom rating. So I think that was encompassing there's a bunch that they suggested using. Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. yeah. But definitely like, um, gosh, like post-concussive symptom scale mm-hmm. is okay. huge. That's the big one. Yeah. That's yeah. a big one. Global severity index, positive symptom, distress index. So those kind of objective things there, their disability rating. Again, that's mm-hmm. a subjective questionnaire that they're getting based on their own deficits that they're finding. Yeah. And then the response to movement. So that's more of the objective stuff, which including what Jordan was saying, eye movement, head movement, neck movement, full body, and then visual field movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly it. So like you take all three of those, you get the system status based on like post-concussive symptom scale, um, which is, you know, they're perceived, which, and then, and then also like with the, with the VOMs, you're, you're assessing all of those things. You're like, how dizzy are you feeling? How are like your overall symptoms? Like, are you having any headaches coming on right now? So you're assessing all those things to see like where their symptom status is. And, um, and the disability status, that's also some patient reported outcomes, like the neck disability index mm-hmm. or the um, patient specific functional scale. Have you, have you ever used that one? Cause I wasn't introduced to that until USC. No, I usually basically use NDI for everything, neck disability index. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I yeah. really like the patient specific functional scale because it's it's just three activities that you have them and they it's like fill in the blank. So it's their top three activities. Okay. And it's a zero to ten scale. Um and and it's like, okay, how how easy is this for you to do? And mm. and um it's great because it's like boom, three goals right there. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably shouldn't do that. It should probably just be like one goal, you know, increase your total PSF scale, but yeah. I've, I've seen it both ways. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the disability status. And then your response to movement, like I just said, you can do uh, standardized testing such as the bomb, or you can even do like some work or sport related activities. Like if someone who's pretty, if their symptom status and disability status is very low, Mm-hmm. and um they're none to mild or or low then you can do like in a controlled setting 
um, something that will bring on their symptoms, which is likely only going to be when they're doing those symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so you essentially take all of those things, symptom status, disability, response to movement, and then you put that all together and then you treat them based on their profile. And, and what was really great is they had a couple, um, case examples, Mm -hmm. which was Mm -hmm. nice. Um, so like someone who is super moderate to high symptoms or disabilities, high response to movement, right. You're just, it's like similar to someone with a, with a joint that's like that very highly mm-hmm. irritable moving. You're just going to do some symptom management. You're going to do patient education, try to decrease the frequency of their headaches or their dizziness or their, or their double vision. You can try to decrease the frequency of those things and the severity of those things with education and gen gentle progression towards daily activities and getting them back to those activities. Uh, same thing with, if you move into the movement system optimization, you can probably work towards more like the vestibular ocular one training, which, um, yeah, well, that's the one where like you have a piece of paper with like an X on it and you hold it out. You have the patient hold it out in front of them and they just move their head left to right. And you can have them start off slow, um, working with some vestibular therapists. The goal is to get that maybe to 150 beats per minute, like left, right, left, right, 150 beats per minute, being able to use that as a target. Mm-hmm. And as you do all these things, these habituation trainings, uh, something to be aware of is you can bring them up to like their symptom, global symptom, zero to 10, you mm-hmm. can bring them up to like a seven to 10. You don't want them going past that, but their symptoms also shouldn't last longer than 15 minutes mm-hmm. when you're doing habituation training. So you always want to keep that in mind if that's the case. And so that would be someone with like movement system opt- optimization. You can start to introduce, introduce those things. You can even do joint position um, error training, which, which I'm doing right now, not with post-concussive, but post mm-hmm. uh, whiplash disorder. So that's and, with the laser you said? Yeah, that's with the laser. Okay. And, and that one, essentially a quick rundown on that, like the norms, you should be within 4.5 degrees of error. If you're less than 4.5 degrees of error, then, then you're, then you're good to go. Like you're, you're reaching your goal. And that's essentially where you're sitting like 90 centimeters away from your target. Mm-hmm. And, and as a, as opposed to like where the axis of rotation is and you put the target on the wall, there's a, there's a protocol that you should follow. You don't just throw mm-hmm. a laser on them and, and say, okay. okay, look to the left. Um, and, and you have them, but you, you look in the horizontal, horizontal plane, you look in sagittal plane up and down, and then mm-hmm. you should also look in your diagonals too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's that one. And and yeah, and like even for the movement system optimization, like maybe just modify some activities that might be too provoking that bring them over that seven to 10 symptom score and, and cause them to be dizzy for more than 15 minutes. Like we need to modify those things and try to avoid those for now until they're able to increase their habituation to all those things. And then performance optimization, that's like, that's you're, you're, they're, they're doing really well. It's just towards that end point um, when they're like, really reaching those high levels of activity that they start to get a little dizzy or they get their symptoms on there. So you want to train in those areas for them. They had a really good, they had a couple good cases in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you want to go over one of them or? They do kind of go into the weeds with that, but it is actually super useful. Um, yeah. Like a case, they have a case two on table three mm-hmm. and uh, this is like, you know, a young basketball player. So his symptom um, his symptom like man status 
Yeah, they, they looked at um, of quite a few things up top, a cluster. They looked at total symptom score. They, they talked about subjective, um, feeling down, feeling like being in a fog, difficulty concentrating. They asked him his aggravating factors, his headache, his dizziness, his irritability. And then when they got to disability rating, they used like a dizziness, headache, uh, disability. They used the HIT-6 uh, for disability raising. And then for his response to movement, they looked at neck movement. They looked at um, eye movement. They looked at visual field movement. They looked at full body movement. So they did all those objective measures, right? Just to see his response. They even looked at sensiomotor um, joint position error. And, and so they looked at all those things. And, and they also took into account those contextual factors being uh, his like soci- socioeconomic status, his cognitive, his psychological, his general health and lifestyle. They took into all account those things. And based on that, they, um, they put him into the, he fit into more of the movement system optimization category. Um, based on those figures. So in real life, that's a lot to ask of a PT to do. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like that's tough. Like, I don't think I'm going to be doing all of that. If I were, if I were the greatest PT in the world. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. You know, like two hour evals for that, but I know, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's it. It's, I think it's a great, like theoretical framework at least to have, and it gives you a bunch of different, um, you know, patient out patient reported outcome measures. And so that like when you, when you do see someone post-concussive syndrome or even, or even just post, they're just post-concussed and they don't necessarily are like an ICD classification. You can use this to help guide your treatment. You can classify them into a treatment protocol and, uh, and go from there. That's pretty good. Is there any, uh, what would you say is the most useful thing you took from this paper? If you had to just wrap it up in like a bullet point that the audience can take with them. Yeah, most useful thing I think from this paper is being able to, because I, I know I still struggle with this, is getting getting kind of caught up in all the noise. Like there's so many things going on with someone, and um, being able to really like funnel it down into just a few categories here are the most mm-hmm. important things that you can target and make effective change in uh, with objective measures is. Um, and then the patient reported outcome measures is the most useful thing as far as like this categorization. I love them. I love my categories. Categories are nice. It helps yeah, us. Are. I love the algorithms. <laughs> I love categories. Yeah. Yeah. I think knowing when to push, um, it says uh, with the movement optimization, such as vestibulocular reflex pattern one can be prescribed in, at an intensity appropriate to cause a mild to transient increase in dizziness. But that was interesting of like, you're trying to provoke a little bit of symptoms movement system optimization stratification. So not being afraid to push into a little bit of, you know, symptoms when they're in that middle tier and kind of seeing how long it lasts. I, sometimes we don't think to do that with concussion. We're just very hands off and trying to, you know, be as protective as we can. But I think mm-hmm. for me, learning that when they're in that kind of moderate tier, you can push into mild and transient increase in their symptoms and then kind of monitor from there. So I guess I'll kind of take that um, as a, a way to, maybe not just back off and, and kind of bringing the more active recovery into some of these patients. If I see them in the clinic would be useful for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, that's easy to do as PTs. Like, you know, you don't want them leaving feeling like crap and dizzy mm-hmm. all the time. So. Right. Huge. <laughs> huge, huge, huge. All right, Jay, any uh, final thoughts on this article? 
No, that's it. Taking around with it. Uh, it's it was published in November 2019. JOSBT title again to wrap up for you guys is a treatment based profiling model for physical therapy management of patients following a concussive event by Al Salahin. Perfect. I think that I think that's how you pronounce that. One. I think I'll give you a pass on that. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> For sure. All right. You can find us on the two five physios.com or email us at info at two five physios. If you want to hit us up with any questions, comments, if you're gunning for a Trader Joe's gift card, or uh, apparently we're giving those out now. So yeah, <laughs> Jordan will sign these. I'm assuming Jordan's going to, going to fund these as well. So look at, yeah. look for those in your inbox and uh, we'll go from there guys. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the 2-5 Physios podcast, where we bring the fire mindset to the physio lifestyle.